Happy Sabbath, BMC. My name is Haniel Rodriguez. I am the religious vice president of the Student Association this year. And it is such a privilege to be here with you all today. I want to go back this morning to the Old Testament, um, back to a time when the exile is just, just ending. Persia rules the known world, and their domain spans a big area. It is in this context that a man brings the king his cup. You can imagine the extravagance in this throne room, the greatest king of, of the whole world at the time. But I want you to focus on the man bringing the king his cup. The king looks at the cup, but he doesn't accept it because he is focused on the face of the cup bearer. He notices an expression on his face that troubles him. And he asks him, Why are you sad? Open up your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. And we'll be starting at the beginning, verse 1. So you can imagine here, the king is asking his cupbearer, why are you sad? At that time, you weren't allowed to be sad in the presence of the monarch. This was supposed to be the highest honor, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you, to be in the palace of the king. And so you can only imagine the terror that fills the cupbearer's heart when the king asks this question. And the scripture says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. So we see here, Nehemiah acknowledges his fear, acknowledges that something is happening in his heart, and he is afraid. I asked you this morning, have there ever been moments where you have been afraid? Moments where things are uncertain. Maybe your boss calls you into the office, and you're not necessarily sure why he's doing that. So you feel uncertain. Uh, maybe, maybe a teacher calls you to stay after class. Or maybe your mother gives you a call, but you missed the call and you notice she called you three, four, or five times. What's going on? Your heart is filled with fear. But here we find that Nehemiah has the courage to speak. And it says, But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take? And then will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So here we have Nehemiah bringing the cup to the king, 
and being surprised that the king is noticing his expression and asking him why he has that expression. His heart is filled with terror, but Nehemiah goes to a place of prayer. He asks the Lord for help. What should I say? This is also evident in the previous chapter. If we just take a look briefly, uh, verses 10 and 11, we will see that Nehemiah spent a lot of time in prayer. And this was where he drew his strength. So verse 10 says, Nehemiah describing God's people to God. He's saying, Lord, they are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So once again, we find Nehemiah here speaking about prayer, praying to God and reminding God of his people, reminding God of his promises, reminding God of what he has said before. So we, we see two seeds of two seeds of what will make Nehemiah the great man that he is through the rest of the book. One, he is a man of prayer. And two, he is a man who knows God's promises. A man of prayer and a man who knows God's promises. And so, we find that Nehemiah was very much disturbed by the status of the walls in Jerusalem. He had heard the news from his brother, as we see in chapter 1, and that purpose is what drives him to go and ask the king for this favor in chapter 2. But now I want to ask the question, what's the problem with having a city that has no walls? What's the problem with having a city that has holes in its walls? It's defense. A city with no walls or with walls that have been assailed, has no defense. It has no way to keep the enemy out. And so that's what bothers Nehemiah about this. The city of Jerusalem is defenseless. How can God's people be without a wall? And so after speaking to the king, Nehemiah gets his passport from the king. He gets his supplies and he goes off to Jerusalem. Continuing on in chapter 2 here, we see him go to Jerusalem. Verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So Nehemiah, despite the city having no walls and no defense, decides to go out there by night. And now, we all know what the danger of the night is. The danger of the night is that you can't see everything that's out there. You look out and everything is cloaked in darkness. And yet Nehemiah goes by night. And we see here in this passage, it keeps repeating, by night. If you look at verse 12, verse 13, by night. Verse 15, by night. So it seems like the author is emphasizing this point for us. But like I was saying, the thing about being out there at night is that 
you can't necessarily see what's out there. You can't see what's coming. I can remember a time when I didn't necessarily see something coming. It was a time back, but not as far back as this, um, senior year of high school. And uh, I was a soccer player. And I was super excited because it's senior year and it's supposed to be the culmination of, of all the, the sports practice and all of, all, of the, um, all of the skill that I've gained during those years. And so I'm getting super excited and we're a couple weeks into the, into the season and we go on a class outing to a park. At this park, there's a big lake and... There is um, a couple trees, and there is a big field for us to play. A couple other guys say, hey, let's play football. And I'm like, oh, let's play football. You know, I want to play. I'd I'd like to play. But I'm hearing echoes of this voice from freshman year of high school when I first started playing soccer. The coach saying, all right, this is our um, weekend where we're going to play districts. Nobody do anything foolish. I don't want anybody getting hurt. I want our team at 100%. And so I'm thinking, okay, but that was freshman year that coach said that. It's not freshman year anymore. It's senior year. It's okay. I've, I've figured it out. I know how to, like, play and not get hurt, right? Just, you know, just run around a little bit, and oh, that's okay. Um, and so I decided to play. And there were these two new guys uh, who had just come to our school, and they were pretty good. And so I said, man, I like this challenge. Um, I want to see how I, how I measure up to these guys. And so I decided to play. I go into play, and um, my style of playing is, is, is speed. I like to run really fast and um, outrun you pretty much. And so I'm on the field. The quarterback steps back, and he launches a pass, and it's really far. And I'm thinking, you know what? I think I can catch that. And so I take off. And I'm running and I'm running and I'm running all that I can as fast as I can. You know, and I'm supposed to keep my eye on the ball, so that's what I'm doing, keeping my eye on the ball. But somebody else was keeping their eye on the ball. Somebody else was watching that same ball, except they were stationary in one spot, just watching the ball. And so here I come, running as fast as I can, and I'm still watching the ball, and (laughs) collide with that person. And right before I collided with them, I guess I must have done a movement like this and ended up pulling my oblique muscle. No more soccer for that season because it was the end of the season. And uh, yeah, I didn't see that person there. I didn't see it coming. Nehemiah, in this moment, is out there. And if something comes, he can't see it. So why is he out there? What's the purpose? He needs to know. He needs to know the extent of the damage of the walls. He needs to know what work needs to be done. And that purpose outweighs the danger. Why does it outweigh the danger? Because God has placed that purpose in Nehemiah's heart. So I ask you this morning... Think about your spiritual walls and think about the purposes that God has placed on your heart. So here we see, once again, Nehemiah. 
looking at the walls, giving the people confidence in God, telling them about his experience with how God has brought him here. But not everybody is happy with this project. Not everybody is, is smiling about the rebuilding of these walls. We find, going to chapter 4, the enemies of the rebuilding, the opposition. So chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the, Jew, the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. What is the status of this wall when you can't even keep out a little fox. Tobiah and Sambalot did not want these walls to be built. They did not want to see the people of the Lord prosper. And so I ask you, what are your enemies this morning? Not necessarily people, but be they discouragements, insults, um, jealousy or situational circumstances, whatever it be that is discouraging you. We see here, same thing is happening to Jerusalem as they're trying to rebuild. But the beautiful thing is that though they are defenseless, God is their resilience. Though they are defenseless, God is their resilience. Resilience is actually one of my favorite words. It means to spring back, to bounce back. And so we see in this story that even though we don't have a defense, God is the source of people coming back and trying again, coming back and trying again, coming back and persevering till the work is done. So here we find in verse 10, that Sambalot's insults actually get to the people. And we read there, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Oh, you know, sometimes for me, there are times when I am sure that God has told me something that I need to do. Oh, honey, I'll go and do this, go and do that for the glory um, to spread the kingdom. But then, as I start doing it, I start second-guessing myself and thinking, man, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm not strong enough. Maybe I just kind of, you know, went too far. Kind of like the people here. So again, revisiting once again 
what this concept is of broken walls or walls with gaps in them. It made me think of an experience that I had when I worked at summer camp. When I was at summer camp, I was a counselor. So every week I had a new set of little boys, um, and I would guide them around the camp. There was one week where we had to do this activity, um, and it was a full-day activity, but one particular point of this activity stands uh, in my mind as I think about this wall with holes in it. Um, so at this camp, there was this hill, Sunset Lake Camp, there's this hill, and so at the top of the hill, there were all these barrels. And the task was we needed to fill up our barrel as quickly as we could in the given amount of time. Simple, right? Just take the bucket and come over and pour it and, okay, pass it, okay, and pour it, right? No problem. But there was a problem with this barrel. So I want to show you the barrel now. The barrel had holes in it. And as you got further up, there were more holes. How were we supposed to fill that barrel? Thinking of that, or should I say, thinking of this story, reminded me of that experience. But take courage, for though we are defenseless, God is our resilience, our strength, and our courage to come back. So Sambalot and Tobias uh, challenges raise up a question. Were they right? Were Sambalot and Tobiah right about what they were saying? I would tell you, they were right about one thing, but wrong about another. If we're looking again at verse 1, they were right about the brittleness of the wall. The wall had holes, yes. The wall was broken, yes. But if you look at towards the end, actually it's verse 2, towards the end of verse 2, Sambalot says, Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? That's where they were wrong. It wasn't the people that were going to bring the wall back. It was God. And so when they're over here saying, They can't do this, this is impossible, you can't bring back life from this thing. They were wrong because they were thinking of who was going to do it and, who, and the person who was going to do it wasn't the people. It was God himself. What holes do you have in your wall? And how can God restore them? I know for me, personally, I'm somebody who thinks a lot. Um, I'm always just on another thought, analyzing this, analyzing that. If you ever see me um, and you ask me, hey, what are you thinking about? If I say nothing, I'm lying. There's something. Um, <laughs> something's going on in my mind. And so as you can imagine, having, having that kind of thought process all the time, um, it's easy to get discouraged thinking about this, thinking about that. Um, it's easy to focus on the things that, that I don't have an answer for. That I'm, that I'm uncertain about. Be it the fear, be it the danger. It's easy to focus on those things. But though I be defenseless spiritually, the Lord is my source of resilience. The Lord is my strength. 
The Lord is my power. So I want to take you now to our text, our scripture text from this morning. In Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. So here the Lord tells us that he will be our wall. He will be our defender. He will be our sustainer. He will be our resilience, our ability to bounce back. And so this morning I would like to challenge everyone, challenge myself, to take some time to think about what are the things that have caused those great big holes in your wall? What are the things that have discouraged you or the things that have uh, made you think that you can't do what God has placed on your heart to do? Write those things out. And then next to that, put this verse, I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. As we start a new year, as we start a new semester, it is inevitable that we will face things that we think we cannot handle, we think we cannot do. And so I, I challenge myself, like I said, and I challenge everybody here to take this verse, apply it, and remember it. Let the Lord be our strength this year.